0: Since uh, Easter, we've been uh, taking a look at how uh, we don't go to church. We are the church. And if you're someone who calls herself a Christian, which I'm guessing almost all, if not everyone here today, would say that, um, you are blessed because the church, way back in the first century and continuing through the next 2,000 years, decided to take Jesus' direction and to go and to spread. And now we get that opportunity, too, to, for the next generation and for this generation. Um, if you're, a, as we have many guests with us, if you're a guest with us, I'd like to point out a gold insert in the service folder. I uh, heard that we ran out of uh, bulletins or service folders. So if you see someone around you that doesn't have a gold insert and you have, uh, you know, plenty, um, please do share with someone near you if, if needed. Um, definitely a good opportunity to follow along fill in the blanks on the uh, main points uh, that God is uh, wanting to get across to us today from uh, this section. I'm guessing most of you are well aware of the oil boom that's been happening in North Dakota over the last few years. Some of us are more aware of it than others. Some of us have relatives or even husbands who are, are working out in North Dakota. And uh, in fact, so much so that um, North Dakota is now the second largest producer of oil in the country, behind. Good, all right. We had a few watchers of Dallas, it sounds like, uh, you know, that know that Texas is an oil producing state. Um, Yeah, um, behind Texas. And this. Growth has been great for North Dakota, but if you've been watching the news over the last few years, it's also caused some problems, right? Especially with the infrastructure of the state and also the infrastructure of different towns. In fact, one of the, the towns that is most on the news is the town of Williston, North Dakota. It seems like that's the one you hear about the most. And this town, over the last four to five years, has gone from about 12 to 13,000 people. It's more than doubled, and now it's a town of over 30,000 people. And when the mayor was interviewed not too long ago and was asked how and what this has meant for Williston, he, he, you know, mentioned that growth is good. But he also said, "I, I don't, I know that we weren't ready for all the stuff that's been going on here. And, you know, to prove his point, let me share with you a few things. You maybe have heard some of this in the news. I mean, housing is in such demand that it costs as much in Williston, at least it did, to rent an apartment as it would if you lived in Manhattan, New York, or at least comparable. And Manhattan's in New York, and North Dakota is, you know, in the middle of, of God's country is what I was gonna say, you know. <laughs> um, there's been so many businesses popping up and needing employees to fill those roles that if you move to Williston, the starting wage at Walmart's about seventeen dollars an hour because they people are moving so quickly. Shelley, don't get any ideas moving to Williston for seventeen dollars an hour, okay? <laughs> um, the schools are too small, so the education has suffered. The roads are too narrow, so traffic is, uh, is difficult. The, the police force isn't strong enough, and so drugs and crime and violence are on the rise. And you know what's happened to Williston? They, they, they haven't been able to handle all that's been coming at them. You know what Williston's been? They've been overwhelmed. Now... We're not here to talk about cities, but I'm wondering, have you ever felt like Williston? Have you ever felt like there's all this stuff going on, some of it is our fault, some of it is out of our control, but we're like overwhelmed and we cannot handle all that's coming our way, or can't handle it very well. I... I, I think we all feel that way at times. Maybe it's a a new job, you're trying to grab your bearings. Maybe it's going from the the school schedule to the summer schedule and like trying to figure out how this all works. Maybe it's a a relationship uh, problem. Um, There's all these different reasons that we can feel overwhelmed. I remember one of the times that I felt this way. We, uh, it was the first week that I was a pastor here at, at Bethlehem, just fresh out of seminary. First church, first time being a pastor. The only pastor, the previous pastor, had kindly left me a stack of things to look through and figure out. And uh, my, my to-do list was growing by like the minute and uh, I remember when my, my parents were leaving, my, if you don't know, my dad's a pastor and he's kind of a huge help that first week. And as he was leaving, I don't know if I've ever appreciated dad being around more than that. And as he was leaving, I think i pretty sure I got teary-eyed thinking, am I going to be able to handle all this? This is too much for me to handle. I'm, I'm feeling overwhelmed. Uh, have you ever felt that way? Have you ever been there? Um, This is not a real hard um, idea to apply because I know we've all been there, right? So here's the question. What do you do when you feel overwhelmed? Most of us don't think about what we do. Most of the time, we just react naturally. And the natural way to react to overwhelmed, if you don't think at all how you're going to react, but just go with the flow, you know what, for... 99% of us it is, it's worry. The natural way to deal with overwhelmed is worry, is stress, is anxiety, is even fear. It's our our first fill-in. Overwhelmed leads to naturally worry and fear. Worry and fear. But the good news is that today through God's word, he wants to give us, God does, a different way to handle it. A different way to deal with overwhelmed. Not with worry and fear, but with something else. Now, before we get there, I just need to back up a second and talk about worry for a second. Um, The first thing we need to acknowledge is that worry, we talked about this a few weeks ago, has roots in sin. Because if we trusted God with all of our hearts, there would be nothing to worry about, right? But, We're sinners, and we all, at one time or another, worry. And I just want to let you know that you came here, someone who worries, and you're going to leave here, someone who worries, okay? That the reality is, is that you cannot, this side of heaven, cure worry. But you know what we can do? We can worry less. We can be more confident. We can get better at trusting. And that's our next fill-in. We can't eliminate it altogether, but we can learn with the right tools and the right right truths from the Lord to worry less. And who doesn't want to worry less, right? We'd all like to worry less, and so you've, you've come on a good day. Um, as most of you uh, know, and as we, I've shared already, um, we've been looking at the early church, and the reality is, is that it's amazing that the church grew. Um, the first day of the church, Pentecost, when it kind of got launched, today's Pentecost actually, um, they um, grew by 3,000 people one day. And The church continued to grow. Thousands of people coming to faith. And here's why it's amazing that it grew. Because the two most powerful groups in control, the Roman government and then the Jewish leaders, they both hated Christians and wanted to sort of stamp out Christianity. And yet it kept growing. Last week we uh, saw, or two weeks ago, we saw Peter and John getting arrested. For what? For what? Uh, Well, they healed someone with God's help, and they said the name Jesus. And and so that was enough to get them arrested. They were put in jail. They, instead of being killed or let free, and even with that being jailed, the church continued to grow. And and Acts chapter 5 tells us how people started to flock to Jerusalem. People from all over came to Jerusalem, and the church kept growing. More and more people became Christians and followed Jesus and put their trust in him. Now, how do you guess the Jewish leaders felt about that? Um, Not real well, right? They didn't like it. Um, Here's a, a verse, Acts 5. The high priest and all his associates, part of the Jewish leadership, who were members of a special part of the Jewish leadership called the Sadducees, they were filled with, with jealousy about the growth of Christianity, the popularity of the disciples. I mean, it used to be people came to Jerusalem to see who? To see them. And now people are coming to Jerusalem and could care less about them, at least many of them uh, could care less. But we're here to see the disciples. We're here to hear about Jesus. And so they became very jealous. So now instead of just jailing Peter and John, they gathered all 11 disciples together, put them in jail, and they threatened them, told them to stop preaching, and they wouldn't even say Jesus. They read in Acts 5, they said, Stop saying the name. Quit preaching in the name. And the disciples didn't. They were let go, and they went right back out into the temple, and right back out into town. And they kept talking about Jesus. Well, as you could expect, now these Jewish leaders are just furious. And that leads us into our text for today. Verse 33 of chapter 5. When they heard this, when they heard that they left and went right back out preaching, They were furious, and they wanted to put all of them to death. But a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, a part of that uh, pharisaical group, who was honored by all the people, he had a good standing, he stood up in the Sanhedrin and ordered that the men, that the disciples be put outside for a little bit. So here's essentially what's going on. Gamaliel sees that the Sanhedrin wants to kill the disciples, all right? And Gamaliel's like, hey, wait a second here. Let's just just calm down for a moment. Let's just wait. Um, I don't think this is going to be good for us, all right? We need to be sure about this. I don't know if it's good that we kill these guys, not just because it's murder, but even more importantly, likely, the reason Gamaliel wanted them to slow down was because, as I said earlier, the disciples were popular. So if they kill 11 of these popular guys, there's going to be a lot of problems in Jerusalem. There's going to be rioting and uproar, and Rome doesn't want to see that. So ultimately, it's going to come back to them. This could really affect them as the Jewish leaders. So he said, let's just stop for a second. Let's think about this. And then Gamaliel gives them a history lesson. And at the end of the history lesson, you're going to be less worried if you apply what happened, okay? Next verse, verse 35. He addressed them. Men of Israel, consider carefully what you intend to do to these men. And I explained why he felt like they should be careful. Some time ago, here's the history lesson, Thutis appeared, claiming to be somebody, and about 400 men rallied to him. He was killed, and all of his followers were dispersed, and it all came to nothing. So Gamaliel is like, hey, guys, remember Thutis? Any of you remember? Seriously, do you guys remember Thutis? I hope you say no because this is the only verse in the Bible that has Thutis in it and there's no other writings about Thutis so we don't know anything about that him but at that time these guys would have remembered Thutis and they would have been like oh yeah, that's right, Thutis he said remember what happened that he gathered a, a, some people together he, he thought he was something tried to go against the Romans remember what happened to Thutis? yeah, we remember Rome squashed him like a bug He's no longer here. And the movement died. And then Gamaliel continues. And after him, Judas the Galilean appeared in the days of the census. And he led a band of people in revolt. He too was killed and all his followers were scattered. Now, Judas the Galilean is not Judas Iscariot that you know that was one of Jesus' 12 disciples. This was a Judas that was uh, lived earlier and we do know a little more about Judas from a historian named Josephus uh, what we know is that this revolt around the census was because um, through the census Rome was going to try to raise taxes and so Judas didn't, didn't like higher taxes I mean who does and uh, he gathered a group of people together to, to try to stop this and, and, and Gamaliel's like remember what happened to Judas and they're like yeah Rome squashed him like a bug and the movement died. Okay, so remember these two guys? And then Gamaliel gets to his point, verse 38. Therefore, in the present case, so with this Christian movement and these 11 guys that we just sent out the room, before we kill them, leave these men alone. Why don't we just let them go? For, or if their purpose or their activity is of human origin, if it's just them wanting to be something like Thutis, that movement is going to fail. But, but if it's from God, if this is a God thing, if God's in a part of this, you won't be able to stop these men. You will only find yourselves fighting against God. Here's what Gamaliel is saying. He's saying that the Roman government right now is so powerful and so in control that if this little band of people that numbers a few thousand, if they are able to succeed and move forward, if the Roman government can't take care of them, we can't take care of them, And it's proof that this is from God. <laughs> no one, if, if they succeed, it's a God thing. If they endure, if Christianity endures, it's got to be from God. And Gamaliel acknowledges something that I, I think is really important for us as we get to our, our point with worry. It's the next fill-in. That no one can stop God's plans. <laughs> if God has a plan for you, not all the worrying in the world is going to help it. Not all the, you know, reorganizing is going to help it, change it. And Why would we want to? God has good plans for us. He loves us and wants what's best for our eternity. So no one can stop God's plans. That's what Gamaliel acknowledged. Now, let, let me ask. 2,000 years later, after Gamaliel's argument. What's happened to the mighty, invincible Roman Empire? Where is it? History buffs. When did it decline? When did it die? What? All right, good. That's the first person all weekend that's even known. Thank you, Brett. We're all wiser now. (laughs) the 400s most of us have no idea even when it left the big mighty powerful no one can you know stop it roman empire gone if you go to rome today do you know what you see all over rome crosses crosses everywhere Not that represent their old tradition of crucifixion, but crosses that represent one crucifixion 2,000 years ago that the Romans and the Jewish leaders tried to squash, but it endured because if it is of God, nothing is going to stop it. With this reasoning, Gamaliel was just applying logic to a situation. But for us who read these words 2,000 years later and we think about what happened through 2,000 years, you know what we see? You know what I hope you see? Is God being faithful? God fulfilling his plans? God can allow a small movement of people that first started with 11 members and allow it to endure past a Roman government that wanted it dead and squashed. God is faithful. God is there. God is love. Now, when we deal with worry, I think one of the things that we want is for God just to take away our worries. And if God is love, then why doesn't he just take, you know, the stuff away that's causing me to worry? And you need to understand something um, about this world. And to, to share that with you, I have a little object lesson here. And th- this has to go back all the way to when God created the world. When, when God created the world, um, he spent a lot of time and a lot of thinking He made everything perfect after each of the days of creation. Does anyone remember what is said? It was evening, and it was morning the first day, and it was good, yeah. Good means perfect. Good means no problems. Good means no worries, no stresses, no overwhelms. Any of you uh, gone to the fair? Um, There's game at the fair that has cups like this taylor you want to help me for a moment all right so you stand right here now we're not going to throw overhand have you ever thrown a ball in church good good (laughs) by that laugh i thought maybe you're gonna not yet yes in about 10 seconds you will can say yes okay um if you could not overhand but could you i said overhand is fine could you see if you could knock those cups over for me all right. You can sit down. Thank you. Now, at the, uh, at the fair, they'd have a prize for you. I kind of forgot about that. I I'll find something. I've got a book for you later, actually. So, um, but, so this, what happened to the stack of cups that I stacked so nicely, is what happened when Adam and Eve sinned. Everything was in order. Everything worked perfectly. There was no overwhelms. It was all exactly perfect. But when sin came into the world, it was like a ball knocking over God's perfect creation. And, and someday in heaven, God's going to restack everything so that it's perfect again. And there's not going to be stress, and there's not going to be worry, and there's not going to be overwhelmed. But until then, until Jesus returns, guess what? We live in a world with cups all over the ground, and it's not because God created it that way. It's because Taylor threw a ball at it. <laughs> it's because it's because we sinned, and so God's dealing with a world that He didn't create the way that He created it. <laughs> You have problems in your life not because God doesn't love you. It's because there's sin in the world that Adam and Eve contributed to, that you and I contribute to, and even in the midst of his creation toppled over. The amazing thing is that God still is with us. And he still is, here's our key word, I don't want you to forget. God is faithful. God is faithful. Gamaliel didn't know this, but we do from the Bible, that Jesus had had a conversation with uh, Peter before he had died. And he said, Peter, who do you say I am? And Peter said, I believe you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said, good. Good. And then he said, on that statement, on that confession, I'm going to build my church. And then what did he say about the church? I'm going to build my church and the gates of hell itself will not be able to overcome it. He could have said that the gates of Rome will not be able to overcome it. But he upped the ante. Even Hell itself will not be able to overcome the church. You know what that meant? It meant the church will endure. 2,000 years later, where's the church? You are the church. We're here. Because why? An accident? No. Because God is faithful. I want you to think back to a stressful week. Did you get through it? God's faithful. I want you to think back to something worse. I want you to think back to a loved one who passed away? You never thought your life—you'd um, be able to get through it. A, a job situation that ended, didn't know how you're going to financially survive. A relationship that went through really hard times, didn't think you would ever, you know, be put back together, and maybe it didn't. And you felt like, I'm not going to be able to survive. What are you doing today? Surviving. Maybe things are hard, but you got through it. You know why? Because God promised, I won't give you more than you can bear. And then, you know what God was and is? Faithful. It's faithful. And if you're still not thinking about that connecting with you, then, then think about the toppling over, of God's perfect creation. And think about God coming and saying, I'm gonna send my son. And, and, and thousands of years went by, and, and and generations lived and died and went by, and there was no Savior. But then Paul writes, at just the right time, God sent his son. And Jesus came. And he lived and he died and rose again. And by the way, that's the reason, and we already know this, but that's the reason why the disciples were able to go out and to keep preaching and keep teaching because they saw God's faithfulness too. They saw Jesus live, die, and rise again and how God was all a part of it because you know what helps with worry? Remembering God's faithfulness. You know what worry does? Worry Stress, anxiety, what it does is it blinds our hearts to God's past faithfulness. I don't know what happens to your brain when you're overwhelmed. Um, I only know what happens to mine, and I'm wondering if I might be like you. But there are times where, you know the, 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 the meter on your car when you're revving the engine and going, Right? That's how sometimes my brain is when there's just too much and I'm feeling overwhelmed. And it's like one more person calls and I'm going like, to go over the edge because I can't handle anything more. You know what I'm feeling? I'm feeling overwhelmed. Instead of just gutting your way through it, Let me give you something new, which isn't really new at all. When overwhelmed happens, target, pause. Don't just keep going. Don't just keep working. Don't write another list. Before you write the list, pause and be overwhelmed. But overwhelm your heart with God's faithfulness. You know what you need? We talked about this at my Wednesday growth group. You need a list of like five promises of God that hit your heart exactly where you worry the most. And you need to put those on your fridge or, better yet, commit them to memory. And when overwhelmed comes, you pause. And you let God's faithfulness, as you recall those promises of God, you be overwhelmed, but you be overwhelmed by the past faithfulness of God. And guess what happens to worry? It becomes less. This past week, I was uh, getting stuff out of the shed over here for basketball camp, and uh, I think I probably was overwhelmed or something. So I didn't uh, grab a ladder to uh, go up to the, uh, the, the top shelf, which um, if, if anyone works with me, they know that I rarely grab ladders to grab things. I just kind of climb. Um, <laughs> so I kind of put some boxes on top of each other and used uh, the lawnmower for one foot and then uh, you know the stack of boxes. And everything was going great as I'm trying to pull something off until... Um, the box kind of shifted, which meant that my whole body shifted and um, I fell. Um, not real hard, I not, didn't even have any aches or pains from it or bruises or anything, but I fell, the box fell on top of me. And um, sometimes what it's like in life sometimes, huh? Something shifts just a little bit and because our footing is not on the right thing, we fall. Your footing can be God's love and faithfulness that grab your footing, your foundation on him, his love, his forgiveness, his faithfulness. And yeah, we're not going to leave never worrying again. But I know, with God's help, we will worry less. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, um, we first of all confess that um, sin is the reason, our sin, is the reason for the challenges of life. And so we confess those sins. At the same time, Lord, we thank you that even in spite of our sins, with grace, you love us and you are faithful to all your promises. So help us, Lord, during the challenges that come with the sinful world, to pause and to find our confidence in your faithfulness. We pray this in Jesus' name and we uh, continue by praying.